Good morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Second day in a row. Breaking down a one nothing game. This time the Toronto Blue Jays win. one uh, nothing. Kevin Gosman. Excellent. Over seven innings, as you'd have to be to get a win when you only get one run of support, which has kind of been the story of Kevin Gosman's season. He is, I believe, third to last among qualified starters in average runs of support. Which sucks. That's got to really suck if you're Kevin Gosman. It's got to be tough to go up on the bump every time out and know you have to basically be perfect to come away with a win. But he did it. Uh, Not perfect. Four hits, but no walks, no earned runs, six strikeouts over seven. Pretty pitch efficient, too. Only only through 90 pitches. Probably could have justified throwing him out there for an eighth given the extra rest that guys have built in. Uh, But the bullpen's in decent shape right now, so they turn it over there. And some interesting deployment of the bullpen in the eighth and the ninth, really going with without Jordan Romano, the, the team's closer available right now. He's on the IL. John Schneider goes purely matchup based. No one has slotted into that role as a traditional closer type. Now, Jordan Hicks comes up with the save, but he comes up with the save after Eric Swanson is trusted with the bottom of the order in the eighth. Tim Meza comes in for the ninth versus lefty lefty. And a switch hitter in Jose Ramirez who hits worse from the right side. Uh, he gets two of those batters out. Turns to the right-handed part of the lineup, Oscar Gonzalez. So they go to Jordan Hicks for one out. Jays get out of it. Now, didn't need to be that tight. Stop me if you heard this before. Jays had plenty of opportunities to do more damage than the one run they put up. The one run they did put up was a first-inning home run from George Springer that came at the end of a tremendous 13-pitch plate appearance. I was the sixth fastball he saw. He fought off three or four sliders and sweepers right on the edge with two strikes to to defend and keep the plate appearance going longer. Eventually finds a fastball to hit, drives it for a home run. Uh, Things went downhill in a big way for the Jays offense Uh, from there. It was yet another night um, where they couldn't get things going once guys were on base, they had a couple of really good opportunities in the second inning. Uh, Schneider and Kirk drew walks, so they have runners on first and second with only one out. Get nothing out of it. Fifth inning, Springer and Whit Merrifield back-to-back with singles, so you've got two on and only one out again. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. takes a first-pitch fastball middle-middle and grounds into a double play with it. Uh, in the seventh inning, you get a runner on base. Paul DeYoung strikes out, and uh, hopefully your children weren't weren't lip-reading too closely with Paul DeYoung's reaction there. Uh, Dalton Varsho also strikes out, and then uh, a nice catch from Stephen Kwan ends the threat there. In the eighth, you're looking at a, a bases-loaded, nobody-out situation. Danny Jansen flies out. Davis Schneider gets a, a curveball hung over the plate and grounds into a double play. Uh, the tenth time this year, the Jays have grounded into a double play with the base is loaded uh that's only third overall they are second in overall ground into double plays on the season in general they have 98 of them if you ever sort by double play stats no matter the split or filter you put on the miami marlins will lead the league by such a dramatic margin it's it's almost unfathomable uh they have about 30 percent more double plays grounded into than the blue jays who are in second place anyway the George Springer home run stands as the deciding factor through three games in this series. Now uh, the Jays have taken two of three. They lead four to two in score on aggregate. It's been incredibly low scoring. We'll see if that continues today as Alec Manoa takes on Noah Syndergaard at 1 PM. We'll tee that one up for you throughout the show here. Um, but we've 
got some Jose Batista talk today. John Gibbons is going to join us around 1130. Um, we've got some prospect talk today. Jeff Ponce, who is of Baseball America and was recently down at the Jays Dunedin Complex, is going to join us at 11, give us some insight into uh, who looked good down at the Complex League, what we're looking for when we look at Complex League or, or even low A box scores. We'll talk the debut of, of first-round pick Arjun Namala. In addition to uh, another a number of other prospects in the system, including high risers like Alan Roden and Connor Cook, who's now up at AAA. Uh, before we do any of that, though, we're going to talk about last night's game and we're going to do some. I promised it last week. We didn't have time with this guest, but uh, Jonah Bierenbaum of The Score joins us now for a little. We'll talk about last night first, but we're going to get to some Jose Batista trivia. Jonah, good morning. How are you? Doing well, buddy. How are you? I am good. Uh, yesterday was your birthday, so I, I texted you, but happy belated birthday. The, the crowd is applying it. here in the radio studio. <laughs> uh, very, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it, pal. Um, okay, so Jays win one nothing yesterday. Oh, by the way, sorry. Uh, we'll, we'll be taking some texts throughout the show as well, so you can send those into 590-590. Questions about the current state, how they managed the three days off in, in eight days ahead, favorite Jose Batista memories, whatever you got, 590-590. Uh, so, Jonah Bierenbaum of The Score. The Jays win one nothing yesterday, up 4-2 to two on aggregate over three games against the Guardians. Uh, this is Guardians baseball. I, I guess some people might say grinding these greasy ones out is, is a form of playoff baseball. I tend not to agree when those come against bad teams. H- how are you feeling about taking two of three with almost nothing from the bats? I mean, you know, wins are wins. And at this point, you know, you can't be discounting any victories because there is no margin for error in the American League playoff race. Having said that, the Blue Jays have now been limited to four runs or fewer in six of their nine games without Bo Bichette. You know, we spoke about this last week, but so far the offense uh, really hasn't picked it up in his absence. Um And, you know, certainly going up against a couple of Guardians pitchers who are rather inexperienced, you would have hoped that the Blue Jays could uh, cobble together a little bit more offense. But frankly, I mean, last night was kind of the quintessential Blue Jays win in 2023. You ride a very strong effort from a starting pitcher. You cobble together barely enough offense while utterly failing to convert with runners in scoring position. And then the bullpen comes in and locks it down. That has been the recipe for countless victories this season. And that has has mostly continued against Cleveland. I mean, obviously, if they don't escape with a victory today, the series against a really weak team will feel like something of a disappointment because uh, you don't want to split against a team that, uh, frankly, you know, is one of the worst offensively in all of baseball and is down one of its best hitters in Josh Naylor. Um, but, you know, uh, in today's battle of, you know, former one-time future Blue Jays aces, uh, Manoa versus Syndergaard. Uh, You hope that uh, Manoa can ride the momentum that he generated in his previous outing against the Boston Red Sox, carry that into a very favorable matchup today, and the offense can find a way to cobble together, and this is a novel idea, multiple runs. Multiple runs is is novel. We'll we'll see if they can get that going. Syndergaard, of course, not the guy that he was uh, shortly after the Blue Jays traded him when he was a uh, you know one of the better and more electric pitchers in baseball. Alec Manoa, good challenge today. Even though this this lineup is not particularly good, it's a lineup that can uh, stack as many as eight left-handed hitters or switch hitters uh, if they so choose. We know Alec Manoa struggled a little bit with the platoon stuff, although against the Red Sox on the weekend uh, that wasn't quite as big an issue. Jonah. A little bit more from last night's game before we pivot to Jose Batista stuff. Uh, you mentioned the bullpen coming in and locking it down. Obviously, Kevin Gosman gives them seven really good innings. Um, with Jordan Romano out, John Schneider opts to 
not elevate someone as the closer in that spot. He goes to Eric Swanson, who has been the second highest leverage guy all year because he likes him against that bottom of the order that has some lefties and maybe don't do well against the splitter. He turns it to Tim Meza for a top of the order that is lefty heavy, turns Jose Bati- or Jose Ramirez rather around to his weaker side, and then goes to Jordan Hicks for the one-out save to avoid that lefty-righty platoon matchup. Um, I mean, the results speak for themselves last night. Obviously, you're doing what you can with Jordan Romano down, but I wonder, Jonah, is this something, that deployment of the back end of a bullpen that is now a little deeper than it was earlier in the year, would you like to see that kind of usage continue even when Jordan Romano's back, or would you like to see Romano, hey, that's the closer's role, get him back in there, there's something to be said for role stability? I definitely think that Jordan Romano has done nothing to, uh, you know, deserve to not have the ninth inning entrusted to him. But certainly, you know, prior to the ninth inning, this is exactly the kind of bullpen uh, deployment that you love to see. Like, there's no reason, given the depth that they have now, not to be optimizing matchups. And, you know, they have the weapons to do that. They have a diversity of looks now. You know, you added a huge velocity right-hander who gets not only a lot of swing and miss, but a lot of ground balls in Jordan Hicks. You have righties who are really effective against lefties because of splitters. You have Tim Meza, who is just murder on left-handed bats. So they have a a multiplicity of weapons, uh, you know, sort of a look for every different kind of offensive profile, regardless of handedness. There's no reason not to keep, you know, rolling your bullpen like this. And especially, like I said, with the depth now, you know, uh, you can you can push guys a little bit more because theoretically there's more organic opportunities for rest because they don't have to rely on the same two or three guys anytime there's a leverage spot. So, you know, when Romano comes back, I do think that he deserves to have the ninth inning be his responsibility. And there's, there's no need to get overly cute with it because he is one of the best closers in all of major league baseball, even though, you know, some would argue that his season hasn't been quite as uh, confidence inspiring as say last year's was, but yeah, for, for now, you know, I, I do think that the ninth inning is his, but you know, certainly, you know, seventh, eighth, I, 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 think that John Schneider would be remiss not to continue being as uh, creative and as aggressive in matchup optimization as he's been in Romano's absence. Yeah, enjoy it. And, you know, the Mesa usage, obviously Mesa has earned enough trust to face some righties sometimes and not worry about that as much. But one run game against a righty with a pretty significant platoon advantage there, uh, I'm in favor of it. On the hitting side, uh, Jonah, I don't, I don't want to get too excited about a little stretch here that's been honestly really, like, Babip fortunate for George Springer. Um, he's had a, a couple. Now, look, he was probably owed more than a couple <laughs> dropping in a, after the stretch that he was on there. Um, but, you know, over his last six, he's got 12 hits, four of those for extra bases. And last night's 13 pitch at bat before that home run, Jonah, when you see a guy work one like that, foul off as many defensive two strikes as that and find his pitch to drive. Um, numbers aside and 12 hits and six games aside, does seeing an at-bat like that, a battle like that, inspire a little bit of confidence in you that George Springer is starting to see things and feel things a little bit better? Absolutely. I mean, if if you're working in a bat that deep, not only are you recognizing pitches out of the hand, but you know you're you're getting good swings off. You're you're really battling. And I think for that abysmal stretch from you know sort of mid July through early August, we weren't seeing George battle. He was immediately uh, you know falling behind in counts, and therefore he was much more vulnerable uh, to spinning stuff off the plate. He was just not generating any leverage in his uh, plate appearances, and that was putting him in really difficult spots for the last week or so, or, or better part of a week. 
Uh, he's been getting ahead in counts. He's been driving his pitch when he gets it. Uh, he's been fouling off pitchers' pitches. Uh, and it just speaks to the fact that I think he is doing a better job of recognizing pitches out of the hand, uh, of making in-at-bat a- adjustments, uh, and, and critically of driving his pitch when he gets it. I think that's also been one of the major issues for him. And, and for this team more broadly this year is that, you know, even when they do find themselves in favorable counts and they get their pitches, they just don't square them up. But um, in, in the case of Springer, uh, lately he's been doing that more and it's a testament to the fact that he's just having uh, much higher quality plate appearances uh, and seeing the ball significantly better. And uh, how does that transfer over to uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Because I know you, you've been uh, you've been pretty frustrated with him. A couple of line drives yesterday, but uh, a really tough miss fastball middle middle in a big big situation. First pitch ground into a double play. Um, I, I mean, we don't need to belabor the Vlad thing. I guess every time you come on, but it does feel like every time we've scheduled you, it's coming off a particularly uh, rough Vlad day. I mean, we don't let's let's even lower the bar here a little bit. What, what does Vlad need to do to get back? to to where you're just comfortable with the level that he's at instead of, you know, it's whether it's pressing or or reaching or or just a misfortune right now, there's not a lot adding up about what Vlad's doing at the plate. Yeah, I mean, I think at the very least what he needs to do is start punishing mistakes again, right? You can say, you know, that he needs to be more selective in the zone or he needs to chase less or he needs to find himself uh, with count leverage more frequently. But I think the critical thing, and this was best exemplified last night, is that even when he gets his pitch, even when he gets a cookie, he's not necessarily doing damage. Like last time uh, that we chatted, I said, well, he needs to be more selective in the zone. And even if he's getting strikes uh, early in counts, if they aren't strikes that he can drive, he should let him fly uh, and wait to get a pitch that he can really barrel up well last night in a run producing opportunity he gets a cookie oh oh that he can barrel up and he rolls over and grounds into a double play so you know if Vlad isn't punishing mistakes um and he's not being more selective then you know that that's not a profile that that's going to lead to elite offensive production so at the very least you need to see him start punishing pitches in the middle of the zone fastballs in the middle of the zone because uh, if he's not doing that then you know it, it, i mean it's really easy easy uh you know to sort of uh you know uh, challenge him frankly because uh those are the pitches that uh certainly you know uh, average big leaguers should be doing damage on and certainly that vladimir guerrero jr should be turning around and putting in the seats and tough to see right now especially when the jays offense is struggling as it is bo mm-hmm. bichette isn't in there a day where brandon belt's not in the lineup to help set it up for vlad that pitchers are look that was a mistake pitch but pitchers are not afraid of vladimir guerrero jr right now even with no i mean we don't we don't truly believe in lineup uh, protection at the big macro level, but at the micro at bat to at bat level, it exists and we're just not seeing any, uh, any fear there. You know, who was feared a lot, a lot and like led the league in intentional walks a lot at one point, Jonah is Jose Batista. So let's, Let's turn the page here. We will talk more about last night's game. We will set up the 1 p.m. outing between Alec Manoa and Noah Syndergaard uh, later in the show. Also, a small note from our pal, Caitlin McGrath at The Athletic, Hyunjin Ryu, starting Sunday. He is uh, what was a TBD is now Hyunjin Ryu's spot on the probable pitcher. So it'll be Barrios, Bassett, and Ryu against Assad, Steele, and Tyon. Uh, the Cubs juggling things up there as they move Drew Smiley, originally scheduled as Saturday's pitcher, to the bullpen. Uh, I say Saturday's pitcher because we had mentioned that. Because it's Jose Batista level of excellence day. Uh, he will be honored up at Rogers Center. Uh, Jonah, before we get into some Jose Batista trivia here, uh, look, you and I were 
around each other for basically all of those 2015 and 2016 runs. Um, you were, you know, starting, not starting out, but earlier in your career at Baseball Prospectus and then the score. Um, how much does Jose Batista going to the level of excellence mean to you as a longtime Blue Jays fan and someone who's covered this team for a long time? It's incredibly significant. I think it's it's undeniable that this team has not had a more significant player since 1993. Not only was he the heart and soul and the emotional center of the best Blue Jays team since uh, you know Joe Carter's trip around the bases, but he was the linchpin of the organization for so many years prior and really the catalyst that made possible all of the wonderful memories that Blue Jays fans forged in 2015 and 2016. Remember, that era was supposed to be devoid of memories. In 2010, when the Blue Jays traded away Roy Halladay, the organization was seemingly headed for an extended reset, rebuild, whatever word you want to use. The organization, which had just come under Alex Anthopoulos, was supposed to be building for the future. And then Jose Batista decided to hit 54 home runs in 2010. (laughs) And that singular development truly changed the course of franchise history. Without Batista transforming into one of the most dangerous hitters in the league, they don't broker that mega deal with the Marlins in 2013. They don't go out and acquire R.A. Dickey. They don't sign Russell Martin ahead of 2015. They don't trade for Josh Donaldson. So 2015-2016 doesn't happen without Jose Batista uh, becoming Jose Batista. He was the straw that stirred the proverbial drink, and he was just so good. He was endlessly entertaining, deliciously brazen, unafraid to speak his mind to umpires, to the media, (laughs) to flex on opponents. Uh, He was the consummate superstar, and it was only fitting that it was Batista who authored the signature moment of the last two-plus decades of Blue Jays baseball because, as I mentioned off the top, this team hasn't had a more significant player since they were last World Series champions. Well said, Jonah, and we'll get to some of the 2015-2016 stuff, but if we're going to do a little Jose Batista trivia here, we're going to start back at the beginning and warm up a little bit, all right? Let's do it. Okay, so Jays acquire Jose Batista in 2008 for a player to be named later. We find out shortly after that that player to be named later is... Robinson Diaz. There you go. All right, we're, we're... we're cooking here. Um, okay, we're we're starting we're starting light. We're gonna ramp up the difficulty as we go a little bit here. Uh, okay, so on September fifth, two thousand nine, this is his first full season with the Blue Jays. We're talking September, and he's sitting there with just three home runs on his tally. Uh, his OPS at that point, Jonah, was over or under six seventy. I think his OBP was quite low. I'm gonna take the under. It was 662. You're two for two. Woo. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, honestly, you hear that a guy like Jose Batista only had three home runs over the first five months of the season. I might have thought even lower than 662. Um, yeah. But, you but got... then he hit, what, 27 in the month of September? <laughs> well, this is your next trivia question. How many <laughs> did he hit from that point on? He got 111 plate appearances from September 6th on. He had three home runs before that point. How many did he hit down the stretch? Oh, it was just outrageous. I, it was it was double digits. I want to say 11. It was 10. Oh. And he had six in the final eight games of the season. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Un- unbelievable heater. I, I talked to Travis Snyder about it yesterday and just like the way that, you know, hearing Travis talk about the way the room realized something had clicked with an adjustment there. Uh, yeah, he hit 10 home runs in not even a full month. Okay, so that's 2008. That's 2009, Jonah. 2010 rolls around. He hits a franchise record 54 home runs. Before Jose Batista did that, who was first all-time on the Blue Jays' leaderboard? Single-season home runs? Yes. 
Uh, I want to say, oh, it's either Bell or Delgado. I'm going to go with Carlos Delgado. Ooh, George Bell with uh, with 47. Uh, so here's a question. Th- that George Bell is no longer second uh, on the home run, single season home run leaderboard. Who is? Who is second on, who hit more than? More than 40. Oh, of course, Vlad- Vladimir Guerrero Jr. There you go. He hit 48 uh, not that long ago. Um, okay, so he's going for, uh, Jose Batista is going for the franchise record. He's sitting on 47. He's tied it. The franchise record breaking number 48 home run came at which ballpark? I want to say it came in Minnesota. No, a uh, division rival. I'll give you joke, joke stadium. That doesn't really narrow it down in the American League East, though. <laughs> joke stadium for a right-handed hitter at Boston. Yeah, it was. It was September yeah. 17th at Fenway against Michael Bowden. Right. Uh, Michael right. Bowden Francis, <laughs> of course. Um, okay, so number 50 then. He becomes the first, a couple days later, he becomes the first Blue Jay to hit 50. It is the lone run. Hey, how fitting is this? The lone run <laughs> in a one nothing victory. It comes at home. Who do you hit that one off of? The King, Felix Hernandez. There you go. There you go. Um, okay, so Felix Hernandez. Uh, imagine you're Felix and you, I mean, hey, it's got to be what Gosman feels like pretty much every time out right now, right? Um, I mean, his entire career in Seattle was essentially a, a yeah. Gosman impersonation. Uh, okay, so Batista's broken the record. He's hit 50. He's just he's just pouring on gravy at this point. Number 53 and 54, the last two, come in a six-homer game. The Jays beat the Twins 13-2. to two. Batista has two of the six. Who have the other four? Oh, my goodness. Uh Gosh, I have mentioned one of them already. He was on the show this week. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Uh, Did Edwin Encarnacion have one? He had two. He had two. Yeah. Um, 2011. Uh, Did uh, Adam Lind have one? He did not. Uh, uh, Did Lyle Overbay? He did not. Okay, I'm going to give you a hint. The one that was on the show earlier this week was Travis Snyder. I had mentioned his name. Uh, the other was a uh, uh, portly catcher from a family of catchers. Uh, Benji Molina. Or, pardon me, Jose Molina. There you go. Uh, two homers for Jose, two homers for Edwin, one for Travis Snyder, one for Jose Molina. Uh, quite a game there. Okay, so that's 2010. 54 home runs. 2011 rolls around. Jose Batista only hits... 43 home runs. He still leads the league. Uh, he also leads, Yeah, he leads the league with a 608 slugging, a 1.056 OPS. It's ridiculous. He leads the league in walks with 132. How many of those walks were intentional? Over 29. Under, you, 29? Okay. Uh, the answer is 24. So that's pretty close. Ugh. That's pretty close. Um, Not a bad guess. No, it's a good guess. It's a good guess. Um, Okay, so there is only one Blue Jay in history who has a season with an OPS plus. So OPS plus, for anyone who doesn't know, takes a player's on-base plus slugging and adjusts for the era and some other factors so that we can more cleanly compare across seasons. Hey, the offense in 92-93 was way higher than it was in 2011. So how do we compare apples to apples here? Jose Batista's in 2011 was 182. Only one Blue Jay has ever had an OPS plus higher than that. Who was it? 
That's enormous. Um, I feel like it was someone from Whamco as opposed to a more recent player. It I don't was, think it was, it was a Whamco. Okay. I want to say it was John Olerud. John Olerud in 1993 had a 186 OPS plus. He led the league in batting average, OBP, OPS, OPS plus, doubles, and intentional walks. Wow. Monster wow. season uh, for John Olderud. Um Jose Batista, so 2010, he hits 54 home runs. 2011, he hits 43 and leads the league in most statistical categories. Doesn't win the American League MVP in either of those years. Do you remember who did? I believe Justin Verlander won in 2011. He did? Um, and 2010. Yep. Uh, was great comeback story, big home run derby moment. Uh, Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton, it is. He only, quote unquote, hit 32 home runs, uh, but he also hit 359 that year. I couldn't remember if it was Hamilton or Justin Morneau. Mm. Uh, so so your, your hint definitely helped. <laughs> okay, good. Um, okay, so 2012 to 14, these are the, the years that Alex Anthopoulos is trying to go in, but but the Jays can't manage to put it together. Jose Batista is absolutely pathetic over these three years. His OPS was just over or just under 900? Under. Just under, 893 Wow! over those three seasons. Those were his rough, da- rough stretch. Yeah, those were his down years, 893. Okay, last one on 2014 before we get to the playoff eras. Finish this quote. Who are you and? Why are you talking to me? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a little inside baseball one uh, for anyone who gets that. Who are you and why are you talking to me from Jose Batista? Well-crafted. Okay, 2015-2016. We will uh, we'll, we'll ratchet back the difficulty here before we ramp it back up. Okay. Jose Batista hits the bat flip home run. Who do you hit it off of? Sam Dyson. Of course. Blue Jays legend. <laughs> the 1-1 one, one from Dyson. Yeah, there you go. Uh, okay, true, this is a true or false question. Uh, While watching that game, we invited the delivery guy to come in and watch some of the game with us. (laughs) That is very true. And I seem to recall like just forcing him to uh, to down a beer uh, before he departed. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to expose him on that front. But yeah, may have invited the delivery guy in uh, because the game was that big and it was uh, Mm -hmm. it was building community to that degree. Okay, so he also homered in twice in the game six loss to the Kansas City Royals. He hits a two run shot in the eighth inning to tie that game. Bottom of the eighth. This relief pitcher allows the losing runs run rather singular. Uh. Ryan Madsen. No. This is on the Jays' side. Who allows, oh, the, Jays who side. allows the losing run in the bottom oh, of that? Oh, pardon inning. me. Um, it was Madsen who gave up that bomb, uh, but I want to say it was Roberto Osuna. It was Roberto Osuna. The weird uh, runner on first scores from a single play, Lorenzo Cain. Uh, yeah. Tough tough way to go. Another tough way to go in that game. Uh, the Ben Revere strike call. Who was the home plate umpire? I believe it was Jeff Nelson. What a pull. Good job. Good job. It well, was Jeff he, he haunts my dreams for the for the better part of the last decade. Uh, all right. Um, so 2016, the wild card game against Baltimore. Zach Britton is still sitting. They I don't know how they've managed to do the renovations around Zach Britton, who's still sitting out there. Um, Edwin hits that home run to walk the game off. But earlier in that game, Jose Batista had a really big home run as well. Who did he hit that one off? A Baltimore Orioles starter in this game. Chris Tillman. Chris Tillman. 
Good, good pull. Someone t- tried to convince me recently it was Kevin Gosman. I was like, no, there's no way. I never no. would have been able to stomach Kevin Gosman being a Blue Jay if he'd if he'd pitched uh, if he'd started that particular game. Uh, Chris, I don't think he could have stomached it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know that he uh, that he could have either. That's uh, uh what a game that was. Yeah. Were you at that one, Jonah? I was. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was piggybacking with uh, a good friend of mine. So we were not seated beside one another, but we were seated essentially on top of one another uh, in uh, in adjoining rows. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, as soon as as soon as that inning started against and, and you saw Ubaldo Jimenez coming in, you, you felt that the Blue Jays probably had a pretty good chance. And then, uh, yeah, uh, Edwin uh, made history. Yeah, we love a, a wild card game to come down to a pitching duel between Ubaldo Jimenez and Francisco Liriano. Uh, really how every team draws it up heading Absolutely. into uh, the postseason. By the way, here are the other pitchers that the Orioles pitched in that game rather than go to Zach Britton, one of the best closers in baseball. Chris Tillman, Michael Gibbons, Donnie Hart, Brad Bratch, Darren O'Day, <laughs> Brian Dunsing, and Ubaldo Jimenez. Uh, Zach Britton, just chilling, just hanging out, chilling in the bullpen. Uh, he of the 0.54 ERA that season, unused. He received he received Cy Young votes that year, but that's not a guy you want pitching in potentially your last game of the season. You need to save him for a save situation yeah. that may not arise. He allowed four earned runs in 67 innings that season. And uh, yeah, just didn't use him. Uh, damn, damn. If the Orioles weren't headed where they were headed, uh, Edwin certainly helped put them there. Okay, so career-wise now, let's take a look. Jose Batista's heading to that level of excellence. Obviously, that means beyond just a few big moments here and there, he has also had a large impact on this franchise uh, career-wise. It's not just peak, it's longevity. We mentioned he was acquired in 2008. He was there through 2015 and 2016 um he spent an awful lot of time with this team he stuck around until what end of 2017 so he is by a hair number one on the all-time blue jays leaderboard in position player wins above replacement that is the, the top of the leaderboard even though they calculate it differently is the same one two three but on both baseball reference and fan graphs jose batista is at the top who are two and three I believe two, and it's another guy who was with the franchise for an exceedingly long time. I believe two is Tony Fernandez. Yes. And I believe three is Carlos Delgado. You got it. One, two, three. Jose Batista narrowly edging out Fernandez and Delgado. And then there's a pretty big gap before you get to uh, you get to the rest. And then you get into, well, just how good was Jesse Barfield's arm and how do we, how do we incorporate that into <laughs> war? Because, uh, yeah, defensive war, he's right up there with Tony Fernandez. Um, Batista, despite being first in position player war, is only fourth in career OPS. Now, he obviously had the 2008 and five months of the 2009 season where he wasn't quite Jose Batista yet. You know, he had a – there are guys who – only played their peak with Toronto, uh, of course, and Batista, you know, kind of played into his decline years. So he's only fourth in OPS. Who's higher? You just mentioned one of them on the war leaderboards. So one is Carlos Delgado. Yep. And I believe two and three, not necessarily in this order, but I believe two and three are Fred McGriff and Josh Donaldson. They are in the opposite order. Uh, Josh Donaldson's order. two. Fred McGriff is three. Uh, here's... Here's a, just just because I came here. This is a purely a longevity stat. Jose Batista is also second in franchise history in grounding into a double play. Who is first? And no, it's it's not Vlad. Yet. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's not. This is a longevity stat, though. 
Uh, yeah, you you really uh, anticipated that joke. Yeah. Um, longevity stat. Um, I'm trying to think which era. Um, Black jersey era outfielder for Ooh. a very long time. Vernon Wells? Yeah. Mm. There you go. He passed the torch. They unloaded Vernon Wells, so they had the money to extend Jose Batista is your uh, connection there beyond the ground in a double play. Uh, Batista also, despite starting out as a, an infielder who bounced around the diamond a bunch, is second all-time in franchise outfield assists. The three names around him, I, I just said number one, is obviously Barfield. Uh, three and four were the other members of Barfield's outfield. Who were they? One has got to be Lloyd Mosby. Mm-hmm. And the other is George Bell. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. One of the, got to be one of the best defensive. Well, I mean, one of the best all around outfields ever constructed. Like all of those guys are in the Canadian baseball hall of fame and have terrific career stats and things like that. But yeah, being one, three, four in outfield assists. Why? I, I know we didn't have analytics yet, but how was there not a book out on don't run on the Toronto blue Jays <laughs> outfield in that era? Um, okay. Here last two on the Batista trivia. First one is a, a little immaculate grid kind of question for you. Jose Batista, not sure anyone, everyone realizes this. Uh, I'm, some people surely do, but he bounced around a lot before getting to the Toronto Blue Jays and then also after leaving the Toronto Blue Jays. He is an eight-team immaculate grid guy. Can you name all eight? Okay. We got the Toronto Blue Jays. Yes. We have the Baltimore Orioles. Yes. We have the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yep. The Atlanta Braves. Yep. The New York Mets. Yep. The Philadelphia Phillies. The Kansas City Royals. Ooh, one more. And the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. He played 15 games for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Uh, or 12 games, rather. He got 15 plate appearances. He went two for 12 with three walks in a 2004 season where he played for Baltimore, Tampa, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh. Wow. A four-team a four season is a grid catnip for sure. Uh, okay, last one. In 2018, a Canadian scientist named a species of what animal after Jose Batista? Oh, man. How about... It's a bug. It's a bug. Um Bug. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't I don't I don't want to uh guess incorrectly and uh say uh, a species that would be insulting. Um how about I don't know, a millipede. A beetle. A beetle. Yes. Entomologist Bob Anderson in 2018, uh, a, a scientist at the Canadian Museum of Nature, they discovered a new species of beetle or weevil, if you prefer, and he named it Cicadaris batistae. <laughs> uh, pretty. Uh, and during his playing career, we always called him the fifth beetle. It was John, Paul, George, Ringo, and Jose. <laughs> yeah, certainly. That that was the Blue Jays version of Whamco for sure. Uh, okay, so Jose <laughs> Batista going into the level of excellence down at the park uh, this weekend. We've heard from a couple of teammates and former managers and things like that who will be down there. Travis Snyder, Ricky Romero, um, John Gibbons, who's on the show a little later today. Surely Edwin will be there since he's always uh, around. How much are you looking forward to Saturday? Are you going to be down there? 
I will be down there. Uh, I'm sure I will be misty-eyed because it'll bring back just uh, an absolute trove of wonderful memories. Um, you know, that was a, a highly significant era in Blue Jays history broadly. Uh, certainly for me uh, specifically, I had never seen uh, in my lifetime, well, in my conscious lifetime, a Blue Jays team go to the playoffs. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, the, the role that Jose played, not only in facilitating that glow up in 2015, 2016, uh, but then what he accomplished uh, during those seasons and, and during those postseasons, uh, you know, he's he's obviously incredibly meaningful uh, to, to me personally. So, yeah, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward. I'm sure that I'll I'll shed a tear when I see him strut out to uh, to the pitcher's mound. Uh, I, frankly, I'd rather see a ceremonial hose from right field to third <laughs> base. I think that would be fitting. But um, I don't know if. Um, I don't know what, what condition his arm is in, um, but uh, yeah, no, it's going to be a wonderful weekend, and I'm sure that Blue Jays fans will really, really relish it, and I hope Jose does uh, as well. I, I was thinking, uh, you know, he, after he's done speaking, he flips the mic, obviously. Now, a mic, you know, uh, dynamics-wise is not going to fly like a bat flies, but I'm sure we'll get something like that. Batista, ever the showman. Uh, Jonah Bierenbaum of The Score, thanks for taking the time out this morning, buddy. Great job on the trivia. I hope it wasn't too long a trivia, but I felt like it was a fun way to uh, to remember Jose Batista. And yeah, man, enjoy the enjoy the heck out of Saturday. Hopefully this year's team is going to give us some, some playoff action that we can uh, remember and invite a delivery guy in for a beverage as well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, enjoy the weekend yourself, my man. Thanks so much for having me on. Jonah Bierenbaum of The Score, a good pal of mine who I experienced most of that 2015-2016 run with. Uh, we were both, uh, well, 2015 run, we were both working at The Score at the time. 2016 run, I was kind of doing my own thing independently, but down at a lot of those games, uh, trying to work in some summer concerts around them. Uh, of course, not always watching at the park, but uh, yeah, man, the, the Jose Batista stuff, Brings back some fun, fun games. Those two years were incredible. Uh, it really does hammer home, I think, too. Not that this isn't obvious. It's obvious that playoff baseball would be a lot of fun. Um, but it really does hammer home just how cool a, a semi-long run. Like, those teams didn't go to the World Series, but we all remember those series pretty dramatically. Uh, we do not really remember the two-game sweep at the hands of the Seattle Mariners or the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I don't think... The players on this version of the team need any sort of reminder of that. But the Jose Batista day will, I think, really hammer home how special you become to a city and a fan base and the culture around a sport if, if you can make a bit of a run. So uh, hopefully there is some of that ahead. There is a game ahead today at 1 p.m. We've got a lineup. We'll take a break first. Uh, we'll take you through the lineup, some of the pitching matchups. And then in the second half of the show at 11 o'clock, Jeff Ponce is going to join us from Baseball America. He was down at the Blue Jays complex in Dunedin uh, earlier this week and over the weekend. So he got a firsthand look at a lot of the players early in the Blue Jays minor league system, including some recent draft picks. And then at 1130, we'll talk to Gibby. John Gibbons joins us, but we'll take you through the lineups. Uh, some of your questions to 590, 590 and uh, look at the pitching matchups Nexus Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptors Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. I am looking at a TV monitor that has a feed from down in Cleveland. It is clear skies 
at Progressive. It's going to be a, a beautiful one for baseball. That game's at 1 o'clock. We will, of course, have it for you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali and Ben Shulmanov, Jay's Talk for you for an hour before the game, 12 to 1, as well as Jay's Talk after the game. Blair and Barker coming to you in their normal time slot, 5 to 7, because this game should be wrapped up nice and tidy by then. The way the first three games here went, uh, this game will probably be done by like 3 o'clock because it'll be one nothing again. Um, couple of news items before we get in the lineups. Uh, the biggest one, Chris Bassett has uh, released a statement on the red jerseys. On Instagram, he posts a photo of himself in the Reds, uh, taken by our pal Kashan Mystery. By the way, uh, Kishan does awesome work. Him and Ali Khan around the the Blue Jays, just an unbelievable Angeline Morgan, um, an unbelievable wealth of, of cool photos and videos and, and moment capturing around this Blue Jays team. So shout out to Keyshawn and, and the rest of that group. But Chris Bassett posts his photo of himself in red and he says, I loved, loved past tense, the Reds. Didn't realize how many people hate them. I now hate them, but I hate that I love them. Canada Day only being the hashtag from Chris Bassett. He just has to hope that whenever we get a Blue Jays City Connect jersey, uh, that it is not a red one. So Chris Bassett now firmly on your side in disliking the red jerseys. A couple other items that came out yesterday from John Schneider's media availability. Uh, you knew by then that Kevin Kiermeyer hit the IL. Nathan Lucas is up. Nathan Lucas got in the game last night as a defensive replacement. Uh, Jordan Romano was throwing a bullpen session yesterday in Toronto. We'll see how he responded to that, and the team will make a determination on whether or not he needs a rehab assignment before returning. Uh, the big one from yesterday, Chad Green, who we mentioned yesterday uh, that in a Tuesday game, his sixth rehab appearance, he had been hit in the head by a Tyler Heineman throw down to second base. Uh, Chad Green has been placed on the seven-day concussion IL. Obviously, the foremost concern here is his health and well-being and, you know, take as much time as you possibly can and possibly need to as he works his way back. From a strictly procedural note, it also resets the, the timeline on his 30-day rehab assignment. So once he's good to go, he gets a fresh 30 days um, before the Jays have to activate him and to ramp up his work. So, um, you know, obviously the, the primary concern here is his well-being. You also... Think further down the line now about when Chad Green uh, may rejoin or join rather because he hasn't been in this bullpen yet may join this bullpen um, because yeah, he's going to, he's going to need some time here. Uh, I mentioned it a little earlier as well. Our friend Caitlin McGrath of the athletic passing along that Hyunjin Ryu, he's listed as the starter for Sunday. So that comebacker off the knee uh, damage avoided. We have a lineup for today. It's Alec Manoa starting. This is the team that will, Try to score more than one run for Alec Manoa. Whit Merrifield leads off, plays in left. Brandon Belt gets the two spot today and plays first. Vlad has a DH day, hitting third. George Springer in the cleanup spot. Matt Chapman, Danny Jansen behind the plate for Alec Manoa. Davis Schneider hits seventh and plays second. Uh, and because Dalton Varsha was getting an off day, Nathan Lucas starts in center field. He will be the first Blue Jay other than Kiermaier or Varsho to man center field this year. He hits eighth. Santiago Espinal rounds it out at shortstop hitting ninth, giving Paul DeYoung a day off. Paul DeYoung is uh, going through it a little bit on the uh, on the hitting side right now. A couple of opportunities to pinch hit for him last night. Uh, the Jays opted not to do that. I would imagine if John Schneider was asked about it or had he been asked about it, that the... Answer would have been, well, we were up by a run and we didn't want to downgrade defensively uh, to get, you know, uh, 
slightly better chance of starting something with nobody on base and things like that. Um, you have Santiago Espinal. I, I know he hasn't had quite the defensive season. I probably would have pinched it for DeYoung uh, somewhere in there. Maybe you bait a lefty out of the bullpen then if you have Varsho and Belt uh, back-to-back, but uh, you play that out and see where it goes. On the Cleveland Guardian side, this is a team that skews lefty heavy uh, all the time. Against Alec Manoa, you are, of course, uh, really, really incentivized to go lefty heavy. Uh, Manoa managed that pretty well against Boston, but we'll see how he does against the Guardians. Uh, Brian Rocchio will lead off. He is a switch hitter, so a lefty right off the top. Andres Jimenez is a lefty. He'll hit second. Jose Ramirez uh, batting third. He obviously hits better from the left side as well. Cole Calhoun, another lefty, hitting cleanup. Uh, Ramon Laureano, the first righty. Alec Manoa face hitting fifth. Will Brennan, Another lefty, sixth. Uh, Bo Naylor, the Canadian catcher, lefty, hitting seventh. Miles Straw, uh, a righty, Manning center field down toward the bottom of the order. One of the longest home run less streaks in all of baseball right now. And then Jose Tena rounds it out uh, at short. So seven lefties are switch hitters that Alec Manoa will face today. Um, the Jays opting to go the opposite way with only uh, two lefties in there against Noah Syndergaard getting Varsho a down day and Kevin Biggio uh, not drawing in. Noah Syndergaard is pretty split neutral this year because, uh, hey, here's the secret about platoon splits. The worse you are, uh, the more likely it is that both sided hitters are hitting well against you. And Noah Syndergaard has not been particularly good this year. Coming in with a 675 ERA uh, component metrics that more or less back that up. It's true that he doesn't walk anybody, but he's also uh, a little prone to the long ball. And when I say he gets swing and miss far less often than he used to get swing and miss, uh, I cannot exaggerate the degree to which that's true enough. He has an 8.2% swinging strike rate this year at his peak that was 14.2 percent uh back when he was a, a 260 era stud for the Mets so big drop off for Noah Syndergaard big drop off in you know just the quality of the stuff in general he's started to become more of a, a tinkerer he throws seven different pitches now uh he's going to lead with that 92 93 sinker but he throws the change up even more than the sinker if he's facing lefties so if you're belt or you're nathan lucas uh, get ready for that change up against righties though he'll go sinker change up cutter curveball straight four seam fastball and then the slider. Uh, he's got a split finger in the mix, too, that he's only thrown to lefties so far. It's also possible that with only four of those thrown, it's just a misclassification on the part of StatCast. But either way, six different pitches there if you're a righty. Um, none of them particularly effective this year. The swing and miss rate isn't very high on uh, any of them. The changeup, probably his best swing and miss pitch um, by whiff rate. But he's also allowing over a 300 batting average on it when, when guys do put it in place. So uh, not a lot there for Noah Syndergaard to work with. That hasn't mattered for the Blue Jays at times. But uh, if you're looking at pure pitcher quality, as weird as it is to say, this is 2023 and Noah Syndergaard is not the level of pitcher of the three guys that the Blue Jays just saw from the Guardians. Does that make you confident the Jays will score today? Eh, probably not. Um, on the other side, Alec Manoa coming off what was surely his most encouraging uh, start in some time. Yes, he gave up three earned, including a pair of home runs against the Red Sox, but he got six and two thirds in, uh, struck out five batters, looked confident. If you're, if you're talking about those kind of 
intangible elements we look for from Alec Manoa. That looked the most like Alec Manoa we've seen in some time, even if the actual results were maybe, um, you know, a little better against the angels. Thanks to the work, the bullpen did bailing him out. Uh, maybe they were a little better against Detroit in his first start back quality competition, uh, a factor there. So we'll see if Alec Manoa can take a step forward again today. Um, when I mentioned that there are seven lefties or switch hitters in for the guardians, uh, notable that, Similar to what we said with with Cindergard, uh, Manoa has been bad enough that the platoon splits aren't extreme this year, and that's because he's been uh, bad against both sides. But lefties still certainly hit him for a little bit more power. And then if you go back to last year and the year prior when Manoa was really good, uh, then it was a case of, well, he's elite, elite against righties, and he's solid against lefties. So um, that is something to keep an eye out for in this one as well. Um, the series this weekend against the Chicago Cubs, just I mentioned it earlier off the cuff, but a correction on what we talked about yesterday. It won't be Drew Smiley for Jose Batista level of excellence today anymore for the Cubs. The Cubs have decided to move Drew Smiley to the bullpen. Uh, Javier Assad will start Friday, which bumps Justin Steele to Saturday, Jamison Ty on Sunday. The Jays will go Barrios, Bassett, and assuming no setback between now and then, Hyunjin Ryu on Sunday, the Jays would then start a stretch of eight days where they have three off days. That is unheard of uh, in general for the Blue Jays this year, but also coming off of 17 in 17. So if you're looking at something like today or any games on the weekend, how do you manage the bullpen? Whose workload is where? It is paramount to keep in mind that they have a bunch of off days coming up. They'll be off Monday. They'll be off next Thursday. They'll be off the following Monday. Um, that doesn't mean you want to be reckless with guys, but there is some opportunity for rest ahead now the biggest question that flows from that is well you have three off days in eight days and only five games in that stretch what are you going to do with a six-man rotation because even if you kept everyone on turn that would mean you know if Hyunjin Ryu stays in the nominal sixth spot that would mean he has eight days off in between starts maybe they don't want to do that maybe they do as Dan Schulman says these things have a way of working themselves out we just hope in this case it's a, a positive one instead of something like a comebacker So that's the very near future, as in 1 p.m. The much deeper future is going to involve some guys who are playing down in the Florida Complex League, who are playing in low single A at Dunedin, who are on Baseball America's updated top 30 Toronto Blue Jays prospect list, which came out yesterday. Jeff Ponce of Baseball America has been down at the Blue Jays Complex in Dunedin for uh, a good chunk of the last week. After the break here, he's going to join us. We're going to pivot off of this Guardian series for the time being. We're going to talk to Jeff Ponce about everything he was seeing down at the Blue Jays complex and, and, you know, try to get a feel for, hey, the deadline is passed. A couple guys are outbound. The draft is passed. A couple guys slot into the top 10 prospect rankings now. Uh, Just how strong is the Blue Jays system? Just how weak is the Blue Jays system? And those guys who are far, far away, uh, who should we excited about jeff ponce of baseball america joins us next as jay's talk plus continues on the sportsnet radio network and sportsnet 360 the best blue jay show out there period blair and barker be sure to subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays Complex League team down in Florida threw a combined no-hitter on Monday. Pretty cool. 
And when you hear minor league combined no-hitter, maybe you think it was like four, five, six different pitchers contributing. I uh, know Fernando Perez got uh, seven of those hitless innings himself. He cracked Baseball America's hot sheet this week for some of the standout players around the minor leagues. Uh, someone who has been down around that Dunedin team, around the Toronto Blue Jays complex in Dunedin uh, for quite a bit the last week or so is Jeff Ponce of Baseball America. He joins us now. Jeff, how are you? Doing great, Blake. Uh, excited to be on. How are you? I'm good, man. So um, before we get into some of the Blue Jays specific players, I'm curious from just like a, a career standpoint and a, a workflow standpoint, what is it like when you, you know, pick out a team and you're going to go spend a couple days around that team, around their complex, whether it's the complex league team or, or the single A team? Um, how, how does this all work kind of, you know, uh, mechanically in terms of what you're doing and how teams open up the doors for people like you? Sure. Yeah. So um, I have four teams that I cover year round, uh, meaning that I, I do all of the system updates and coverage in season, but also do it for our annual handbook that we put out uh, around Christmas time every year. And that's 900 scouting reports. That's all 30 teams, top 30s. Um, and we compile that over the off season. Of course, you know, a lot of that is based on our notes and information from the end season work that we do. Um, so whether I'm going here or going to a series, um, you know, it's just sort of a, a normal thing. You reach out to the media folks uh, with each club. Uh, you go out there and just sort of pick out a prep list of like who you're going to go after, who you want to watch, who you want to ask and, you know, discuss uh, with scouts and front office folks that, you know, might be at these games. Uh, the complex is a little bit different. It's actually free and they're open to the public. Uh, so you can't attend it, but, uh, you reach out there and, you know, I think the unique thing is you're seeing different teams almost for the same organization over the course of a week. There might be, you know, sort of an A team or a B team, you know, or a team one and team two, to a degree, cause they are bigger, uh, rosters and players kind of move up and down. And you're seeing a lot of players that are debuting in the United States for the first time. Or, you know, this time of year, you're seeing a lot of post-draft players, recent draftees that have just signed. Uh, I had the opportunity to see a few of those guys uh, for the Blue Jays as well, including uh, Arjun Namala. Yeah, I wanted to ask about him and Sam Shaw and a couple other guys uh, momentarily here. Uh, from a, a process standpoint, when you are talking about complex league guys, even low A guys, uh, I know with you know AAA and AA and at higher levels, it's you, you certainly don't want to just scout the stat line anyway. Obviously, if you're a fan, you can look at the stats, but you know, worth remembering the International League has a league eight, OPS over 800 and things like that. Um, when it comes to these lowest levels, is it even more important to kind of sit the stats aside and really focus on the process side stuff that you can see up close? Yeah. And I think the thing with, with complex and especially if we are talking about um, recent draftees or players that maybe only have 15 to 20 games in the complex league. And there's a lot of those right now because you know the first wave of, of good players have already sort of been promoted to low A or even high A if they were, you know, some high profile college draftees or something along those lines. Um, so you're really, you're really working with incredibly small sample sizes, of, you know, anywhere from, uh, five to maybe 40 at bats for a hitter and, you know, pitcher, it could be anywhere from a couple of innings to maybe about 15 or 20. Um, so I think when you're, when you're dealing with sizes and samples like that, you really do need to focus on skills. Um, what sort of stuff is, is a hitter swinging at? 
Um, is he chasing out of the zone? Uh, is he having trouble with pitches in a certain particular part of the zone uh, that he does attack? You know, does he attack in the zone? Or does, he, does he take a lot of meatballs, you know, down the middle of the plate that can show sort of being an overly passive player, which is something that's very common with young players that, you know, realize they can work a walk and, you know, sort of uh, fake it a little bit like that. Um, and then I think, you know, from the, the pitching side of things, it's even more straightforward. Are they throwing strikes? Are they not throwing strikes? Do they throw hard? You know, what's the pitch mix? What's the quality of stuff? Can they spin the breaking ball? Do they have an off-speed pitch? Sort of just those baseline things. Because um, at this point, I think you're really looking for players that can be considered legitimate prospects and players that are going to, you know, be worth following uh, once they get to the full season level, uh, whether that be next year. All right, so let's kick some names around who you did see. And I know there are a couple guys in the higher levels of the minors or in the case of Davis Schneider, someone who has now cracked the major leagues who you've been tracking uh, for a while. We'll circle back to some of those. But a couple guys that you got to see the last little bit. I'll start with Fernando Perez just because, as I mentioned, he made the Baseball America hot sheet this week. He threw seven hitless innings on Monday. Uh, He's a guy I've been asked about a little earlier in the year as well because even though it's only nine starts, you know, pretty, pretty standout strikeout to walk numbers over a handful of starts here um just 19 still what do you what do you like about fernando perez uh what can you tell us about where he's at yeah so i think you know fernando perez is he hasn't quite cracked the blue jays top 30 yet um i think that could potentially happen this offseason you know i didn't get you know eyes on him obviously until uh, the list had already been turned in <laughs> on friday um but I think you know the thing with him is it's a it's a starter's body. He's six foot three. Um, he's listed at one seventy. He's probably more like one ninety. Um, I still think there's room to sort of add strength. Only nineteen years old. Really advanced strike thrower. Actually from Nicaragua. And from the, what the organizations told me, was from a really remote area of Nicaragua, kind of a, a farm boy. And uh, he's really sort of had refined we'll say on the skill side of things the stuff is okay um the fastball sort of low 90s but decent shape uh he's been up to 96 but i do think there's some folks in the organization particularly on the player development side that believe he can add velocity and sit more like 93 to 95 in the coming years uh and there's feel for a breaking ball and a change up uh like i said he throws a lot of strikes really knows how to pitch and compete and sometimes, you know, that's a that's a, a great place to be at 19 years old. Um, as bodies mature, guys get stronger. Uh, they work with pro- professional coaching as they move along at each level, and they're able to refine their pitch mix and and do you know certain things. But the ability to throw strikes, sequence that sort of stuff, sometimes a lot of it is innate and just a matter of the player's makeup and mindset. That's uh, so he'll be a, a name to watch, especially as those if those strikeout numbers. Uh, and hey, if you if you keep throwing seven hitless innings, I, I don't care what level you're at or what age you're at. I, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be raising my eyebrows. Um, so another name that has been you know this name's been a, a little more up and down, but again with the good strikeout rates, the starters body. Uh, Nolan Perry, a 12th round pick from last year uh, he didn't get into affiliated ball down the stretch last year he's, he's been working with that complex league team uh, a little bit I, I know he's someone who you had some thoughts in thoughts on coming out of your visit yeah so he was a name that was added uh onto the blue jays top 30 list and not the most recent update which actually went live on the site yesterday 
but back in July um, and, you know, prior to the trade deadline, et cetera. And he was a guy where we were hearing a lot of great reports out of the complex from scouts, uh, opposing scouts or with other organizations, um, you know, that I think have uh, a really objective perspective on a lot of these players because they're writing up reports and, you know, making suggestions as, for, you know, potential targets and trades, et cetera. And that's leading up to the trade deadline. Perry was a guy that had a lot of buzz, got some eyes on him actually last Friday against a really stacked uh, FCL Yankees team. You know, there's several top 30 prospects on that team. Uh, pitched the you know, second leg of a doubleheader. Uh, went five, struck out seven. Really good quality breaking ball. Um, solid fastball shape. Not a ton of velocity, but I heard the velocity was down from what it had been a little bit earlier in complex. But he's still someone who's sitting 91 to 93. Uh, you know, has been two to four, touching five or six. Um, so there is some upside there. He's also still, you know, pretty young. This was a, a high school kid out of the New Mexico prep ranks. They took in the 12th round back in 2022. So he's, you know, following right along, good pitcher's body, you know, 6'2", 195, um, sort of an average size build. Um, but good good strikes, uh, definitely swing and miss stuff. And, and one of the better breaking balls, I'll say, I've seen in the lower minors. Uh, in the Blue Jays system, and you know, I watch these games religiously. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, you know a couple of teens on the pitcher side, a couple of teens on the hitter side. Who, uh, hey, your timing was great. You get there, and a couple of these high draft picks show up. You got to see the first little bit of Arjun Namala, um, Sam Shaw. I, I'm not sure if the games he got in were while you were there, but I know he's played a couple down there as well. When when it comes to a teenager who just got drafted. Are, are you like, what are you looking for? I, I'd imagine a big part of this is just like getting them used to affiliated ball and expanding kind of their, their 2023 workloads and things like that. But are, are there things you're right out of the gate looking for from guys like Namala and Shaw? Yeah, I think when you look at uh, players like this, you're really just looking at tools. What does this guy do well? Uh, kind of the eye test in terms of what does he look like when he gets off the bus? You know, how big is he? How strong is he? How projectable is he? Um, I think we can see a lot from from body types. And I think, you know, the things that stick out about these guys stick out immediately. Uh, for Namala, it's bat speed. He's got incredibly, incredibly loud bat speed. It's really, really quick. Um, the ball jumps off the bat. You know, I had been talking with a, with a scout about him, and I had thrown out that he's he's not all that different from Elvis Martinez, where I think there could be some swing and miss. I think the approach will... Um, be solid and will probably improve as, as he ages. And we certainly saw that with Orelvis this year, he took a huge step forward in terms of chasing out of the zone and the swing and miss stuff. And he just has really special quality of contact. Uh, just really knows how to backspin the ball, uh, you know, batted ball quality and, and contact quality was an immediate thing that stuck out for me. Uh, and I think at shortstop, you know, he's got, he's got a chance to stick there. Um, you know, he's not the most refined defender at this point. Some of that can change. It was also only two games, and there's only so much that you can take away uh, from two games. Guys will make mistakes, and you know, then you could see them for five games, and you know, they're playing completely clean games in the field too. So, um, I think there's a lot of upside there. There's definitely power. I would expect that you know he's going to grow into more home run power as his body matures as well, because he's still fairly thin, but I think can can get stronger. Uh, as for Shaw. Um, he was a guy I wasn't familiar with. You know, obviously, Namala was uh, a huge name, um, you know, on the showcase circuit, uh, just, you know, among preps and, and, you know, high school players, et cetera. 
Um, Shaw was a little bit more underrated, you know, as a, as a Canadian player out there in British Columbia. Um, you know, Blue Jays do a great job, of course, of scouting their own backyard. They got him in the ninth round. Really advanced hit tool. Left-handed bat, uh, makes a ton of contact, going to get on base a lot. Um, I think this is, you know, I don't know how much power there is necessarily. He certainly could grow into more. Not the biggest guy. He's listed 5'10", 180, might be more like 5'9", but, um, you know, a really, really good talent and definitely somebody that I think just in terms of hit tool could probably grow quite a bit over the coming years. And the Blue Jays have been great with guys like that. If you look at some of these sort of after round five picks that they've had, um, Spencer Horowitz, uh, David Schneider, even like Vinny Capra, guys that they've gotten the most out of. Um, and Shaw has more upside than those guys. So I think he's uh, an exciting prospect and a name to maybe follow over the next coming years in, in the system. You heard it here first. Sam Shaw, more upside than greatest baseball player of all time, David Schneider, who's, uh, you know, obviously uh, <laughs> changing our perspective on undersized second baseman uh, here in Toronto. Oh, so those are those are some of the, the newer names, the teenage names. I, I know you got to look at uh, the single A team as well. I think the prospect that most Blue Jays fans are probably still most curious about, given the stop and start nature of his season, uh, is Ricky Tiedemann. He had the rehab outing on the weekend at, at Dunedin. His last one before rejoining uh, New Hampshire later this week, I believe he threw three innings, only allowing one hit, struck out nine. That gives him uh, 18 strikeouts over eight innings on this rehab stint. Uh, did you get a good look at, at Tiedemann? And what were you hearing in kind of asking around about just kind of the weirdness of his season in general? Yeah, so I've seen Tiedemann now five times because I'm up here uh, about 40 minutes outside of Manchester, New Hampshire. So I'm at that park quite a bit. Um, I was down there, uh, doubled up that day, you know, did the, or she tripled up, did the, uh, the double header in the morning at the Dunedin complex and then went home, showered, went back to Dunedin and, uh, you know, checked out Ricky Tiedemann. I've seen him now four or five times. That was the best I've ever seen him. Uh, he was electric fastball sat, 96 to 97, he touched 98 miles an hour. Uh, it was really crisp. Um, I saw him his last couple starts before he went on the injured list, and you could tell like he you know he wasn't turn over the changeup the way he typically turns over that changeup, which is an excellent pitch, might be his best pitch. He wasn't the slider wasn't breaking, sort of catching the outside part of the plate when he was backdooring it to right-handed hitters, which is something he does incredibly well. Uh, he's really proficient with that. He was doing all that stuff again. And, you know, I don't know if it's been announced yet. I'm assuming he's probably, I don't know, New Hampshire doesn't have anybody listed starting on Friday. I would assume Tiedemann probably gets promoted. Maybe he gets one more start in Dunedin, but I, I would assume he's probably up here. So I'm guessing tomorrow night I might be watching Ricky Tiedemann again. Uh, but, you know, I think the thing is it was just it was a biceps injury. He's been dealing with some injuries in terms of, you know, bicep, which is obviously sometimes connected to the elbow. He's had some shoulder stuff, I think, in you know the the in during spring training. When he's in a mound, he's electric. He's as good as anybody that's out there. It's just a matter of whether or not Tiedemann is healthy and can see the lineup two times. Because if we can get this guy up to 80, 90 mile uh, pitches, excuse me, 80, 90 pitches per outing, he's going to be something special. 
That's uh, that's great to hear, and hopefully the workload continues. I, I know some Blue Jays fans had been excited at the prospect of him having a full minor league season, maybe joining the Jays down the stretch in a bullpen capacity. I'd imagine they probably just want to make sure he gets uh, gets his innings in at this point. Uh, another name pitching for that Dunedin team. I, I'm not sure if the timing worked out exactly for you to see him, but uh, did you get a chance to put eyes on Kendry Rojas? I did. I saw Kendry Rojas. um the previous evening, uh, Thursday night, there in Dunedin. Uh, didn't have his best outing, but, you know, it's really easy, really, really unique, low left-handed arm slot. Uh, the Jays love their lefties. Hmm. And good quality breaking ball, good changeup, and good fastball. And, you know, I think you can see the makings of a potential mid-rotation starter there with three pitches. Um, he's somebody that consistently has gotten great feedback from scouts, opposing scouts, the entire season, um, he's really athletic, really projectable, left-handed. I think there is more in the tank in terms of velocity. The stuff could even tick up. It might be a slow burn where it takes you know another two or three years, maybe even four, for him to fully be where he's going to be. Um, but I do think he's a potential rotation piece and one of the more exciting prospects in the system. Uh, sorry, I wanted to. I had one name left on my list to ask you about guys you saw in Dunedin, and I, I forgot yeah. him when we were talking complex side. Uh, Gage Stanifer, uh 19th round pick last year. I know he's still just 19, but another guy with like a, a big body and maybe some potential to to miss some bats there. Uh, I know you. I mentioned him just because I know you saw him throw five innings. You, you tweeted out some some video that everyone should should check out on your on your Twitter account as well for a little bit more on all of these guys. Um, but I think you saw by far his his best outing of the season uh 19th round pick recently is he a guy that that should be on the radar of jays fans or is he still pretty far away yeah i think he you know he's still pretty far away uh but maybe could be a breakout prospect next season um he definitely showed feel for you know three different pitches he's got a nice splitter in the high 80s that i like quite a bit uh was landing the fastball commanding it to both sides of the plate that day he's got some ride on it uh so that's going to play in the upper part of the zone um, and you know, the slider wasn't bad as well in the low, the low eighties, uh, just hasn't pitched a whole ton. You know, he's out of, you know, Indiana. Um, so, you know, in terms of his experience and the quality of competition that he's faced, uh, in his lifetime, um, is pretty limited. So, you know, he's out here at, at FCL, uh, making this debut and has pitched pretty well, at least in my look, uh, it, it was one of the better outings that I saw while I was down there for six or seven days. Well, that's uh, that's encouraging. It sounds like it was a, a fruitful trip. Now you're back to the New Hampshire area, so you, you've gotten a look at some of these Fisher Cats guys, uh, as you as you've mentioned as well. Um, wondering where you see one of the more recent uh, promotions to the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, uh, Alan Roden, uh, another member of that 2022 draft class, a third round pick who has already made his way up to Double A. Now I know he's a little older; uh, he's 23 on, on closer to 24 than 23, so maybe it's expected that he hit at high A the way he hit, but he was hitting 321 with an OPS up over 900 before he got the promotion. Do you, how high are you on the the hit tool for Alan Roden? I'm I'm really high. I think it's a plus hit tool, um, advanced bat to ball skills. Uh, he gets on base, you know, so it's not just contact and he swings at everything. Cause there are some hitters like that, but these guys just have such innate bat to ball skills. They can hit anything, anywhere. Um, he takes his walks, doesn't chase, makes pitchers work, really grinds out at bats. I think, you know, 
he's exactly what people mean when they use the sort of old cliche a professional hitter. Um, there hasn't been a ton of power as of yet. The exit velocity numbers haven't been crazy. I think it's sort of sneaky underneath there. He's got a very level swing. He doesn't try to hit for power. It's a line drive sort of, you know, uh, use the whole field sort of a swing. But it's been productive for him. He's been good at each stop. Um, he's a guy that I had eyes on uh, with Wareham prior to the draft here in the Cape Cod League. Um, and, you know, somebody that dealt with the 2020 season, I think we can't forget that that kind of threw off the age numbers a little bit when you miss an entire season. Um, and, you know, that affected a lot of guys that are in the minors or in college. So he's kind of an interesting one. I think he was a late bloomer. There's definitely a huge hit tool here. And he's, you know, I think he's probably an average, if not an above average corner outfielder. He's a pretty good out there. He's kind of a sneaky athlete. Uh, there might be more power projection there as well. He's somebody that going into that draft in 2022, um, a lot of uh, analytical uh, systems had sort of flagged him as a potential sleeper and an undervalued pick. And uh, I think he kind of falls in line with a lot of these Jays guys because they do love their hits old guys. Alan Roden up to number eight in the latest baseball America, a mid season top 30 for the blue Jays organization. Uh, David Schneider, if you're wondering is up to 10 there. Uh, you can go over to baseball America and check all of that out. Jeff, as you go through the exercise of updating the mid thirties here or the, the mid season top thirties here uh, being down at the complex league a little bit, I, I know you, the way it works is you primarily focus on, on a handful of teams, um, but you guys as Baseball America, as you sit down and you kick things around, where would you say the strength of the Blue Jays system, you know, how, how do they stack up? I, I know entering the year they were kind of low middle uh, of the league. Is that still where they are? Have they ascended to maybe middle of the league in terms of system quality? Um, you know, we have to see. I think that the the high end adding the Mala certainly has helped uh, a tremendous amount, but they also traded away, um, you know, a handful of pretty good prospects, uh, particularly like Robersi and, you know, Klofstein trading those guys away kind of hurts the depth a little bit. Um, and they haven't had a ton of super high end guys, you know, outside of Ricky Tiedemann, Tucker Toman hasn't really taken off. I think the way people hoped uh, and some of those other picks like Dowdy, et cetera. Um, so I think it's probably bottom third at this point. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how they rank out. I think it's probably going to be somewhere probably in that like 20 to 24 range um, simply because they do have a couple of high-end players here. We have two top 100 guys in Ricky Tiedemann and Arvis Martinez. Uh, they have Namala. You know, and I think like Barriera, it's been a little bit tough with how his season's been. Barger hasn't necessarily grabbed the bull by the horns in terms of, uh, you, know, you know, doing some of that stuff. But I, I do think that one thing the Blue Jays are really good at is I think their 10 to sort of 40 is a lot better than people realize. Uh, there's a lot of valuable pieces there. There's a lot of guys like David Schneider, et cetera, that fall into that group that are these underrated hit tool guys that they really do a good job of sort of developing more power and, um, you know, having them play all over the place and, and get some, you know, multi-position eligibility and experience so they can sort of fit in a utility role. They have a lot of relievers. Um, you know, I think Connor Cook is one of the best relief prospects in baseball. Um, he's a name that I think a lot of folks don't realize. And then I think, you know, players like Hayden Younger and, you know, 
Yosra Zulueta are probably going to be pretty good bullpen pieces long-term. You, of course, have Hagen Danner as well, uh, who has legitimate bullpen stuff. And then you have some other guys in sort of the back end here, like a Devereaux Harrison or Mason Flaherty, um, who are also really good uh, bullpen pieces and some guys that are also top 30, like T.J. Brock. So it's, it's, it's a group where they've found a way to sort of develop and find a lot of underrated pieces in the later rounds. It's just a matter of those those top round studs and signings. It's really panning out um, and turning into the kind of players that you know the Jays organization thought they were going to be when they brought them in. That's uh, that's a good good thing to hear, even if the ranking maybe won't make Jays fans uh, super happy when you guys get around to the end of season once Connor Cook, a name by the way, who is uh, already on his third level this season, we're expecting him to make his Buffalo Bisons debut uh, any day now. Jeff Ponce of Baseball America, thank you so much for taking the time out this morning, man. I really appreciate all the insight and all the great work over at BA. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, Glad to be on. Jeff Ponce of Baseball America. Again, you can go over to Baseball America and uh, check out the Jays' latest updated midseason top 30. Uh, make sure you check out Jeff's uh, Twitter account as well. It's Jeff Ponce, B-A. Uh, Ponce is P-O-N-T-E-S. I, I've tweeted out uh, his his account as well as I always do with, it, with the guests. Um, you can get a little bit more detail on some of the players we talked about, more detail on some of the players uh, we didn't talk about, uh, as well as some scouting video from his time down in Dunedin. Uh, that is the deep future. Let's take a break and kick it to uh, the not-so-distant pass. Jose Batista, level of excellence day is Saturday down at Rogers Center. A name who will be there for it, I believe he's already in town or on his way into town, is uh, one of Jose Batista's managers when he was a Toronto Blue Jay twice. Uh, John Gibbons joins Jay's Talk Plus next as we continue on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, Jay's Guardians wrap up this series at 1 p.m. Show Ali and Ben Shulman will have Jay's Talk for you 12 to 1. And then again, post game, Blair and Barker in their usual 5 to 7 slot. A uh, couple quick updates. Jordan Romano threw a 33 pitch bullpen session in Toronto yesterday. He can be as activated, activated as early as Saturday. Team still deciding if he'll need a rehab assignment or not. Uh, Bobachet has been doing some cage hitting and jogging, but not running uh, full or, or doing the bases just yet. No timeline until he progresses to the bases. This comes from John Schneider via our pal Keegan Matheson over at BlueJays.com. So that game's at one o'clock. Before we get to that, though, we got to look ahead to Saturday. Uh, it is Jose Batista going into the level of excellence down at Rogers Center, a man who knows Jose Batista very well. So well, in fact, that he had him on his podcast this week. Joining us now is the former manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, host of the Gibby Show, author of Gibby, Tales of a Baseball Lifer. It's John Gibbons. John, how are you, man? How, uh, good morning. Hey, good morning, man. Thank you. Thanks for the nice introduction. Yeah, hey, I actually owe Jose a lot, man. He kept me, he 
he, he allowed me to stick around a few more years. You wonder <laughs> the truth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, you well, let let's pivot to Jose in just a second here. I wanted to ask you though. So last time I talked to you uh, for this show it was last year, and, and your book Gibby Tales of a Baseball Lifer wasn't quite out yet. It was just about to come out. Now it's out. Now you've even got an audio book version out that's available for people. Um, what's it been like to to have that out and see the reception to that book, and, and now people listening to you as they drift off to sleep at night? Yeah. Hey, let's put it this way, man. You know, it wasn't like it, it, I got to I got to write a book, man. I, I'm just obsessed with writing. But no, but it, it came out. You know, it was in uh, there's been a pretty good response to it. Really has, and uh, people been you know they've been good to me. And then of course the audio book came out like a few days ago, and I ended up reading that thing. But you know, it's been really kind of cool. You know, it, uh, it it allowed me to reconnect with some of my old friends and some old fans out there, and. and uh, uh, you know, I, I, most of them seem to like it. I, I thought they might like it, uh, but it, you know, it, uh, it's just one of those deals, man. Just keep on rolling. You know, I don't worry too much about it. Uh, it's it's great. I, I enjoyed the book. I I, I hope people check oh, out the, the audio book uh, as well. You've also got the Gibby Show, your your podcast that's up wherever people get their podcasts or on YouTube. Um, Man, you've had just about everyone on there, including John Schneider, Don Mattingly, a bunch of the current players. Uh, do you have a, a favorite guest or an interview now that you're one of us as as an official media host? Well, <laughs> well I don't know if you call me official yet, man, because I tell you what, I appreciate your guys' jobs a little bit better now. You know, <laughs> it's not because uh, I, I can mangle the English language with the best of them, you know, and, and uh, it's not as easy as everybody thinks, is it? So, but you know what? There's been so many good guys that, that come on there, really. Uh, um, I'm not sure sure who my favorite is, but you know, uh, you know, naturally Jose Donaldson starting it off, Mark Burley, you know, uh, and they've all been good to me. Mattingly was a really good one tonight, uh, and then Buck Martinez. You know, I go way back with Buck, so it's it's really hard to say. You know, they've all been good. And they've all been. Uh, we appreciate them coming on. You know, because you know, so I, I found out what you guys probably found out is sometimes it's tough to get guys to come on there. You know, they got <laughs> things going on and they. You know they get tugged every which way, and sometimes they get sick of it. But uh, we've been pretty we've been pretty fortunate with that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a challenge, but it's part of the job. I got Jeff as a party behind the glass to bug people for me, so I don't have to do it myself. There, uh, that's and, the key. And hey, we know Jose until very recently didn't love doing the media stuff either. Now he's doing it uh, as part of this week, and, and you know I know he did some stuff during the the pandemic, the the watchbacks uh, of the bat flip game and stuff like that. How was having Jose on the show? You guys just kind of kind of reminiscing in podcast form instead of just catching up over a pint or whatever. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, uh, you know, we, we definitely put him on, you know, because his show was coming up and it was our chance to honor him a little bit, but you know, it, uh, I spent so many times, so many years with those guys in, in Jose and, and it's, uh, uh, you know, we went through a lot of ups and downs. We went and, you know, we, we finally hit the pinnacle there a couple of years after a long, uh, drought, you know, up there in Toronto, uh, and then, of course, he parted ways with the organization. And so it's, it was good just to see him and, and hear him and, and uh, you know, invited me up for this, this ceremony. And um, But it's always good. You know, it's it's always fun to sit, sit around BS and, and throw, you know, reminisce about some things like that. And, uh, you know, he, he's, you know, Ozzy's, Ozzy's always involved. I mean, he's a very busy guy and everything. I mean, even back then when he was a player, you know, and so, so it's tough to pin him down sometimes. And uh, so we felt pretty good that he came on the show, and it, you know, it's a he's he's definitely earned this, and it's going to be great to see his name go up on on the level of excellence, and, and uh, um, you know, I guarantee he's going to get some kind of reception. And I hope he brings a battle on and flips it again. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I was saying that, you know, if they give him a live microphone or something like that, maybe he flips the mic. But a bat would be a commemorative bat would be just as good. And for any fans going yes. down, the, the first 20,000 fans at Rogers Center get a bat flip bobblehead. Uh, so anyone going down can keep an eye out for that. Um, John, you getting to talk to Jose a little bit on, on the show and just knowing him. Uh, obviously, this means a ton to the fan base and to the franchise to get to honor Jose. How much does this mean to him personally? Oh, it's it's huge. You know, uh it's it's uh it's just a culmination of a great career. You know, and he I mean he didn't he didn't have an easy career. I mean, it didn't start no. out the way he, you know, he wanted it to and, and uh, he really didn't you know, teams gave, gave he was basically labeled a utility player and and they bounced him around the field and uh he really never got his true shot and he was going from team to team, you know, that one year he was a rule five guy. It wasn't until Toronto that, that they gave him that opportunity, you know, and even that didn't start out, you know, as an everyday guy. You know, he ran into Cito and those guys, and Cito's done wonders for so many, so many players. But that's where it all came together for him, you know. So that's his, that's who he is. He's a Blue Jay, you know, and uh, and he had some tremendous years. And you know, even through when the team wasn't very good, you know, the team wasn't winning, he still was one of the top players in the game. And then, of course, when things came together a little bit, uh, you know, he got to show off a little bit, a little showcase. You know, of course, naturally the bat, bat flip. But then even when we got. In that game six against Kansas City, he had two home runs and tried to single-handedly win it for us, you know. And, and uh, it, uh, you know, there's something special about this guy. He's he's different. He's, he's, he can be a different cat. He's he's emotional. He's he's volatile. He's uh, but he's a, he's an incredible competitor, and uh, he loves the limelight, man. He loves to shine when, and he loves to. The, the opportunity to perform when the game's on the line, you know, and they they all they all can't say that. Man, it's a it's a extra special thing. Obviously, you got to get there, but the guys who turn it up in those big moments are always a blast. Uh, so, John, when the Jays yes. first when the Jays first acquired Jose, uh, you missed them by a little bit in, in 2008. So you come back in 2013. He's had these big monster seasons behind him. Um, do you remember what your initial impressions were? I, I know that 2013 season it didn't quite go the way you guys wanted. It wasn't until 2014, 2015 that things started turning the right way. But what were your initial uh, impressions of Jose and the impact that you know his breakout and his level of star had on a room? Well, you know, I'd heard heard about him. I'd watch enough highlights, you know, when 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 I wasn't around, and I also heard, hey, he's a handful now. You get, you come back here to Toronto, and I said, good, that's the way I love it, man. We need more star players, you know, that uh, that test you, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, but he, he's he's really a good human being. You know, he does a lot of things off the field for people that people don't realize. You know, he's, he contributes to charities, and uh, he, you know, he it's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So he he cares about that stuff, you know. Um, and you don't always find that, but he's, he's always gracious with his time, but you know what? He's, uh, it's one of the, he's one of those players. He, he, he rose to, you know, his, his, uh, his best in Toronto and thank God we got in the playoffs. We got the chance to show it, you know, in front of, you know, the, uh, in front of the world, you know, um, and that's where, you know, the bat flip naturally put him on the map as far as, wow, the, the, you know, he'd had some great years. But he, when your team's not winning, you get you kind of get lost out there. But when he did that, when he flipped that bat and hit that big home run to win it for us, yeah, that's when I think he got his true recognition. Now, everybody didn't like it, but that didn't matter. That's when he first got his true recognition that he deserved.
do you remember, John, what the reaction was like internally? Like, obviously, the the moment is so huge. The bat flip home run is so important. But then when you guys saw the, like, negative reaction to it from some of the, I don't know, I don't know a nice way to phrase the people who didn't enjoy the bat flip. But, but what did you guys think in that room? Did you just kind of have a laugh at people not liking it or what? You know, it didn't, I don't mean, we didn't even think too much about it. You know, it was, you know, it was a, you know, it's been 22, 23 years of frustration for a country, you know, and then, and, uh, and so that home run kind of set us free, set us everybody free, right? And uh, the thing is, the Texas Rangers, hell, they celebrated home runs more than anybody. That's, that was kind of what's uh, was kind of ironic about it. And, and uh, but it was such, I put it this way if I was on the other side, it wouldn't have bothered me one bit, you know, because I, I would have understood the motion of it, you know. Uh, we went down 0 2, came back and 1 2 down in Texas on the road. And then fell behind this game late, you know, in the winner take all game. So there was so much, you know, emotion. It would have would have been disappointing for either team because we uh, we were both very good to to bow out in that round, right? So there was just emotions were flowing. They were frustrated. And like I said, though, you know, Jose, Jose a lot of guys in the league didn't care for him because he beat him all the time, you know, mm-hmm. and he was an emotional guy, and you knew he was around, you know, and they didn't they didn't all like that, right? And the, and most of them couldn't get him out. And then when he then when he hits that big home run like that, and then then you really know he's around when he flips <laughs> that thing. Uh, but you know it did it was it was it was so much joy, uh, fun and, and happiness. You know just just advancing and winning that game. You know we knew it was out there, but it never really you know that uh, didn't affect as much. But we also knew that the following year something was probably going to happen. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's it certainly did. Um, so John, when you talk about you, you said you'd been warned a little bit, Jose could be a bit of a handful in the room and then obviously there is that level of competitor to him um i wonder how that impacted the the rest of the room not only from that perspective but also everything we hear is that jose was also legendary in terms of the work and preparation he put in and things like that even if a guy isn't the typical you know raw raw leader in the room how big an influence does a personality and a work ethic like jose's have to a group well, you know, it's, see, I like the, his, his style of leading better than anything. You know, you don't have to be rah rah and, and vocal and everything like that. But I tell you what, nobody worked harder. And I and I tell people this all the time. You know, I managed some great players, right? And and so many over the years. And uh, he came up ready to play and showed up to play more than anybody I've ever had. You know, and, you know, in a lot of them, and that's not knocking anybody else. But Jose understood. You know, um, you know when he didn't get. You know, when he was a utility guy early on, you know, he had that chip on his shoulder, I think. And so he was he was gonna he was gonna maximize his career. That would you know, he was he understood that uh you know, people came to watch him play, right, which is very important to the big leagues. That's that's a big part of it. And it, and it, his team needed him and he and he was he was uh he was pushing himself to win, you know, that he was uh he was starved for that himself, you know, like everybody else and but he showed up. You couldn't. I mean, he he wouldn't take a day off. Uh, you couldn't get him to take a day off, even if he needed one, because he he understood that, that was his responsibility. He was going to maximize every every day he had in the big leagues, and and uh, a special guy. You know, he he, he really is. And uh, you know, he's 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 one of those guys that you know you know. Hey, leave him alone. Get out of the way. He's going to do he's going to do everything right. He's going to piss you off every now and then. Mm-hmm. It's like I piss him off. He's going to piss somebody off because you know what? He's got that edge about him, which is which is big in athletics, professional athletics. You know that's what that's what the champions have. You know, 
Um, and then, hey, let, let him let him do his thing. And you know what? At the end of the night, we're probably going to be in pretty good shape. <laughs> so, John, you'll be down here Saturday. You'll get a look at the current Blue Jays team. That's 14 games over 500, fighting for a playoff spot here, looking to head to the wild card and repeat some of that 2015, 2016 uh, magic. I, I know you didn't have many of these guys. I think Jansen and, and Meza might have been the only guys you, you had uh, your last go around with this team. But what are your impressions uh, of this group this year? And, and when you have gotten a chance to check them out where they're at? Yeah, I, I really like the team. You know, I think I think they got to have the best pitching in the game right now, top to bottom, with the rotation in, in the the bullpen. You know, in uh, Kikuchi stepping up, right? Barrios bouncing back like that. Those were, you know, everybody was kind of wondering how they would bounce back this year. And they've been tremendous, in, in, uh in you know, you got to tip your hat to those guys. And of course, you know, you got you got the other guys, you know, at the top, you know, that uh, you know Bassett and those guys and. Hey, Manoa's, Manoa looks like the old guy. He's starting to bounce back, which is which is very very big, right? And uh, of course, they got Rue back too. And, and uh, now, in, in the additions to the bullpen, you know, Cabrera's. You know, he's uh, he's, he's struggled there in, in uh, St. Louis, but he's pitching really well for them. Um, so, and then uh, the key is, though, you got to get Romano back. And he, mm-hmm. he he'll be back, but they they have a deep bullpen. They, they really do. Um, and you know what? They got good. They, they they got a solid, very solid team on the field that can burn you. You know, and, and I know people complaining about the offense here, the yeah. offense. You know, they're they're solid. They're sitting in a great position, spot right now, right? You know, they if you know the uh, and they keep playing good ball. You know, Tampa's faltering a little bit, and their you know, injury bugs got them. You know, Houston's uh, taking it to Baltimore the last couple nights. Uh, so th- th- those are all the teams that are in the in their bunch together. This could all flip, and the, and the Blue Jays could end up on top. You never know. There's no, there's plenty of games left, you know. Uh, but the key is just getting in, and they're going to get in because they're too good. And, and uh, with the pitching they have and the bullpen they have, they 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 could go all the way. There's no doubt. That that was my prediction at the beginning of the year was Toronto was going to play Atlanta in the uh, World Series anyway. I mean, you know, that was a little bit a little, was a little biased. Both, <laughs> both those teams, but uh, but no, in reality, if you look at it, that could very well happen because they're both very very good. Yeah, our pal Alex Anthopoulos over in Atlanta would uh, would be thrilled with that outcome uh, as well. I think they're looking pretty good uh, over there, John. So I, I know you know 2015, you guys went on this huge run around this time of year, right around the trade deadline. You were just 500. Um, sometimes you right. know I, I've heard some players or managers say you know mid August is, is maybe the toughest time to to manage through day to day because it is the dog days and the playoffs are close but not too too close. How how important is it you know in, in the manager's chair to have Something like, you know, in, in 2015, you guys had to fight back to make the playoffs. This team has the chance to maybe fight back and as an underdog chase the division. How helpful is a goal like that? Or is it just about, you know, kind of focusing on the, the day-to-day, even if it does feel like a grind this time of year? Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a grind. But, we, you know, when you're a good team and you're in a position to get to the postseason, you know, it gives you that little extra, you know, that little extra energy that uh, you don't you don't always have, you know. And, What's uh, what's so different about the game nowadays is you look up there in the Yankees and the Red Sox on the bottom part of the uh, standings, right? And it, never, it used to not be that. It used to be that they would run away by in June. And everybody else, you know, was out of it by then. And the, but then you know so they started adding wild card teams, and it's been done wonders for the game. You know, it keeps everybody involved. It gives every, most teams a chance, you know. And and uh, but you know they uh, with us in '15. I mean, we we were the top offense in the game, but we we played. We didn't, our defense wasn't very good. You know, we had a couple of guys. Reyes was struggling short and playing infielders in the outfield, and 
the key was us was shoring up our defense. You know, of course, they had David Price, another starter. And then, uh, otherwise, we're 500. That just shows you got to you got to play defense if you're going to win championships, right? But then it just, man, we just man, it was like a light switch, right? But there was, but it was like, wow, you know, the GM and the front office going to go all out and do this, you know, let's go, boys, you know, we're the the year, you know, it's funny, the year before that, we were almost in an identical spot. We didn't do anything because there was no money to do anything. And you know, uh, you remember Jansen and Batista had they did interviews down in Houston. You know, to say, hey, you know, we expect to do something. We didn't, and so we just kind of fizzled, right? But but it does give you a shot of adrenaline when you know what? Hey, hey, everybody's serious about this. And you know, with a couple of nice moves, you know, you know that it gives you that. You go, okay, hey, everybody, everybody's in here. You know, everybody's uh, all in. So and that does wonders. And you know, they they got enough young guys too that. Uh, you know, the dog days doesn't hurt them as bad, you know. Uh, you, you know, we had some older guys. Uh, you feel it more. But you're not going to – even a side note, there's there's no better weather during the summer than up there in Toronto. And uh, so it's always nice playing there, you know. It's not like you're going down in Atlanta and some of those – Texas and, man, you're just dying out there on the field because it's so doggone hot, you know. Well, let's hope it's a, it's a sunny one on Saturday. I think there's a bit of rain in the forecast for Saturday, but hopefully that uh, that plays out in our favor as Jose Batista is placed in the level of excellence down at Rogers Center. John Gibbons, uh, you'll be there for anyone who wants a little bit more of Gibby and Batista. Batista was a guest on the Gibby Show this week, wherever you get your podcasts or YouTube. Uh, John Gibbons, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. I really appreciate it. You betcha, man. Thanks for having me. John Gibbons, host of The Gibby Show, author of Gibby, Tales of a Baseball Lifer. He'll be down at Rogers Center on Saturday. Ricky Romero and Travis Snyder will be down there. Edwin Encarnacion will be down there. Uh, I'd imagine 40,000-plus of you will be down there as well. 20,000 of you will receive a Jose Batista bat flip bobblehead. Uh, Jay's shop at Rogers Center is also going to have uh, exclusive specialty merch, a, a couple authentic items uh, around Jose Batista. As a reminder, it is a 307 game, but you're going to want to get down there nice and early for the pregame ceremony. We will, on the TV side, have a special edition of Blue Jays Central at 2.30 on Saturday. We'll continue to tee that up uh, tomorrow as well. Right now, we turn the page to today's game. The Jays have taken two of three against the Cleveland Guardians so far with a whole big scoring total of four to two, a couple of one, nothing games uh, traded back and forth after the Jays won the opener three to one today. It's Alec Manoa and Noah Syndergaard. If you were looking on paper at the starters in this series, you would not expect to continue the run of pitchers duels. These would be the two Noah Syndergaard uh, struggling this year with the ERA up over six, uh, not missing a lot of bats, a lot of peripheral stuff that suggests he just might not have it anymore. Uh, But this Toronto blue Jays team hasn't always hit that type of guy. Alec Manoa on the other side, coming off of one of the more encouraging starts he's had in terms of getting lefties out, giving the Blue Jays some length, some of the intangible competitor stuff you look for in an Alec Manoa outing. He'll face a Cleveland Guardians lineup that has seven guys hitting from the left side today when you include the switch hitters that'll hit from that side. So a good challenge for him there. Showout Lee and Ben Shulman will take you through the lineups and give you a whole lot more from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. here as they set you up with the Jays pregame show. They'll also have Jays talk for you postgame, and then Blair and Barker will tag in at 5 o'clock. They'll do 5 to 7 in their normal spot. That's the nice thing about their time slot with a 1 
p.m. game. Uh, we'll be back at, at 10 a.m. tomorrow to tee up the Cubs series, continue to talk about Jose Batista. Um, if you missed it a little earlier, the updates from down at Progressive Field via Arden Zwelling and Keegan Matheson are that Hyunjin Ryu is going to throw a side session in Toronto on Friday, and assuming everything goes well, he will start on Sunday against the Cubs. Jordan Romano threw a 33-pitch bullpen session back in Toronto yesterday. Felt good. Uh, still deciding whether they're going to send him on a rehab assignment or not, but he is eligible to come off the IL on Saturday, uh, the latest on Bo Bichette, that he is uh, jogging and taking swings, but he'll need to dial up the intensity and run the bases before we get a, a firm timeline on this. Arden Zwelling saying it's a very unlikely that Bichette is back this weekend against the Cubs. Uh, the Jays also have that stretch with three off days in eight days where maybe they decide to be, Hey, extra cautious. If you don't bring Boba back until say the red series, well, then he gets an extra four days and you only miss it for two games. We'll see how they manage that. We'll see how they manage the six man rotation through all of that as well. And the bullpen will get a little extra rest before we get to there though. They have to get through this Cubs series. They have to finish taking care of the Cleveland guardians today. Manoa against Cindergard. It is Merrifield atop the lineup. Brandon Belt getting the shot in the two-hole. Uh, Vlad Springer, Chapman, Danny Jansen catches today, hit six. Davis Schneider back in there, second base, hitting seventh. Nathan Lucas will become the first non-Varsho, non-Kiermaier guy to, to play in center field for the Blue Jays this year. He hits eighth. Santiago Espinal gives Paul DeYoung an off day. Uh, thanks to John Gibbons for coming on. Always a lot of fun to talk to Gibby. To Jeff Ponce of Baseball America for giving us the lowdown from the Jays complex and low A team in Dunedin. Uh, to Jonah Bierenbaum of the score for coming on and doing some Jose Batista trivia. Uh, thank you and welcome back to Jeff as a party who's back behind the glass today. Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick. Uh, again, Show Ali and Ben Shulman coming up next. I can see them back there. They're having a laugh. Ben Wagner and Chris LaRue on the call for you. Jays, Guardians, 1 p.m., Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360.